Well, welcome to Big Valley Grace. Welcome to all of you that are over in the venue, and I know I say it every week, I'm just really grateful for all of you that serve over there, the ushers and the greeters and the music and all of those that uh, man the altar room over there. I'm glad you're with us, and all of you that are watching online, blessings to you. You can take your Bibles and turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible, um, all of the notes will be inside your program, or all the verses, or pretty much all of them. They'll come up on the jumbotrons, and for those of you that are watching online, they'll even come up on your computer when we're um, kind of walking through them. Hey, let me uh, just tell you, we're really excited to have uh, Recovery Modesto is doing a, a conference right here at Big Valley Grace, and uh, John Townsend is actually going to be here. There's a number of breakout sessions, uh, and I, I just know you'll be blessed by investing that Friday night, uh, Saturday, into your spiritual life. And so make sure when we're done here, you can go outside uh, these doors, find Pastor Scott Miller. You can purchase a ticket there. You can go online and, and purchase, purchase tickets. But make sure you, you take advantage of this uh, great opportunity to have Dr. Uh, Townsend here with us. We're in a, a series here where we're looking at the first part of what many people consider to be the greatest sermon that Jesus uh, ever preached, and that is what we call the, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And then last but not least, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because of what we're gonna talk about uh, today for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Eight times Jesus uses the phrase blessed are, and the word blessed simply means happy. So here we have the, the creator, the one who formed you inside your mama's womb, one who knows more about you than anybody else. The creator is telling his creation, here's how you can be happy. Here's how you can experience real happiness in your life. I, uh, in my 50 plus years of being here on planet Earth, I've owned a few cars. And every one of those cars that I've purchased has come with an owner's manual. And that owner's manual is uh, given to me by the person who made the car. And that owner's manual is going to give me some really great data as to how I can make sure that the car that I've just purchased will run well, will run uh, you know, for a long time, as long as I do what the owner's manual says I'm to do. And here we have the creator, the one who made us, in his image, he's left us this incredible book. 
the owner's manual, if you will, to life. And in here, the Creator gives us all kinds of wonderful information about how we should live our lives. And here in this little section of Scripture, in the owner's manual, he's telling us how we can experience real happiness. Now, now here's the deal. Obviously, the happiness that God um, offers is way different than the happiness the world offers. And the world does offer a, a happiness. Many uh, uh, years of my life, I, I didn't know the Lord. And I can stand up here and tell you that there were many, many days and weeks and months where I experienced happiness. Worldly happiness. Man, when you're fulfilling all the desires of your flesh, <laughs> I'd be lying to you if I said there wasn't just some unbelievable happiness that the world offers. The problem is, is that what the world offers, that particular kind of happiness, um, is temporal. doesn't last. The happiness that God is talking about here is, is really weighty. It's the kind of happiness that all of us, whether you know Jesus Christ as your Savior or not, are looking for. All of us are looking for it. All trying to find it. One scholar said this, the happiness that God offers is a divinely bestowed well-being that belongs only to the faithful. And I love that little phrase, I know I've showed it to you before, and that idea that it's a divinely bestowed well-being. That, that's the kind of happiness that God is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5. And if you make the choice to be faithful to what God says here in these eight verses, man, you, you, you'll experience a, a happiness or a, a joy that will satisfy your life like nothing else, and, and I can guarantee it, because God guarantees it. He tells us right here how we can experience real happiness. Uh, first, Jesus said this in verse three. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, and this is where it all begins. It all begins, real happiness, true happiness, begins when you recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt. When you recognize that you are dead spiritually before God. When you recognize that there is just, you know, you, you have nothing to offer God. Because when you recognize how poor in spirit you are, you only have one thing you can do, and that is to cry out for God. And when you cry out for God, he hears you. And the Bible says that when you cry out to God, he'll come into your life. And let me tell you something. There's nothing that will give you more joy and happiness than to know that your creator and you have made everything right, that everything's been made right, that he now is a part of your life. 
You see, some of you are here right now and you don't know the Lord. In fact, some of you are here and you don't even believe that there is a creator. And I'd be lying, as I said, to say you don't experience some sort of, of, of happiness. Hey, homes can give you happiness. You know, having cars can give you some happiness. Uh, having a ski-do, that can give you some happiness. Hey, having a lot of money in your 401k or 403b, that can give you a, a, a source of happiness. I, I get it. I understand that. But there is a happiness that is so much more weighty and deep than that when you recognize that you're poor in spirit and you cry out to the very God who made you and created you. Something happens deep within your soul. Then Jesus said this in verse four, he said, blessed are those who mourn. And this is all about mourning or grieving or being broken over sin. This is about mourning over what your sin did to you. It separated you from God. It's about recognizing what, what your sin did to others, what, what your sin you know, does to your spouse and to your kids and what your sin does to your parents, what your sin does to your grandpa, what your sin does to your grandkids. And most importantly, it's, it's about mourning and grieving over what your sin did to Jesus. That the second person of the Holy Trinity, God's Holy Son, had to come, be born of a human being, live 33 and a half years, and then die a horrific death on a cross because of your sin, my sin. You see, it begins with, oh God, I'm poor in spirit. And then God invades your life and you begin to be broken over sin. And what it has done and what, it will, what it's doing today and what it's gonna continue to do until the Lord makes it all right. Then two weeks ago, we looked at uh, verse five where Jesus said, blessed are the meek. A meek person is someone that's, that's simply humble. They humble themselves before God and allow him to control their lives. They, they submit their life to the will of God. So you can kind of see that there's kind of an order in the Beatitudes. First, you recognize you're poor. You cry out to God. Then you understand sin and the implications of it. And then you say, God, I'm going to live a meek life before you. I'm going to humble myself before you. Another good word for meek would be teachable. A meek person is, is teachable. And then this brings me to today's message, okay? Jesus said this in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now to really understand what Jesus is talking about here, you have to know what the word righteousness means. Because you can't hunger and thirst after something if you really don't know what it is. Now I know a lot of you do. But I also know that there are some of you, maybe you're new in the faith, you're young in the faith, and you're not really sure what that word means. 
And so I, I, I want to take some time and kind of unpack it a, a little bit. The word righteousness is literally found hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in the Bible. The Bible tells us that God himself is righteous. The Bible tells us that the word of God, the, the Bible is righteous. The Bible tells us that God loves righteousness. The Bible tells us that God looks for righteousness. The Bible tells us that God rewards people that he sees who are living Righteous, the Bible tells us that Noah was a righteous man and Abraham was a, a righteous man. The Bible tells us that one day God is going to judge the world in righteousness. The Bible tells us that we're to put on righteousness and, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. But, but what exactly do, does it mean? Well, I'm going to give you two thoughts, okay? Um, two, two things. And the first one is this, is that righteousness means being right with God. It's about a relationship. And, and here's what I'm going to do here. This is going to become um, very, uh, very theological. And it's really important that you kind of put your thinking caps on here. Um, to really understand this, not only do you need to hear it, and that's all I can do. All I can do is do my best to share the word of God and, and then it's up to the great teacher that lives within you, the Holy Spirit, to help you really, really understand it. Because it's important you understand this. One of the things that I, I think happens a lot in the church today is that um, I do my best to uh, feed you a meal. And here, here's what happens, you know, you, you, you can chew the meal in your mouth, and that's what you're doing now, but chewing a meal doesn't do you any good, does you no good, unless you swallow it and you digest it. See, that's when the, 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 the food that you've eaten now begins to do some work, is when you've swallowed it and digested it. You see, a lot of people, I think, they sit in here and you chew it and you chew it and you chew it and before you walk out the door, you spit it out. You don't really digest it. You, you, don't, you don't really allow it to, uh, 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 you know, have its uh, uh, intended effect because you haven't, you haven't meditated on it. You're just out the door, and man, before you get home, right, you, you, you turn it on your radio and you're listening to another message, right? You're just chewing something else up. And you really haven't said, you know what, okay, I, I, gotta, I gotta swallow this meal. I, I, I gotta digest it. I gotta let it begin to actually impact how I live. And this may seem a little crude, but I, I think a lot of Christians are just bulimic when it comes to the faith. They chew and chew and chew, eat, and then they just spit it out, and it, and it, never, it, it never matters in their life. When you eat your lunch today, you're, you're not only gonna chew it up, but you're gonna swallow it, you're gonna digest it, and then that, those calories then can really do something in your life. 
So I, I've been praying that the, the great teacher, the Holy Spirit, really begins to take these words, you chew them, you digest them, and they really begin to do something in your life, because it's, it's a really weighty thing that I want you to understand here. Paul said this in Romans chapter 3. He said, but God has shown us a way to be made right with him, right with God, without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, we're made right with God when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone is sin. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous because of our relationship with Jesus. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Paul is crystal clear here that we are all made right with God when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we surrender our lives over to Jesus Christ. When we submit our lives over to Jesus Christ. Whatever the word is, when we receive Jesus Christ into our life as our Lord and as our Savior. Paul goes on to say this in Romans chapter five. He says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everybody. You gotta go back to Genesis chapter three. Adam and Eve eat whatever the fruit was that God said don't eat. That one man's act brought condemnation for all of us. It brought sin into the world. But Christ, Jesus' one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, that's Jesus, many will be made righteous. And how are they made righteous? They're made righteous when they believe that Jesus Christ was God's son. And they accept Jesus Christ into their life or they submit their life to him or you know, whatever, whatever word you want to use there. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Christ made us right with God. Beloved, righteousness is all about Jesus. It's all about having a relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice it's God that makes you right with him. Okay? You don't make yourself right. It's something that God does for you when you give your life to his son. You're made right with God simply through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Period. End of story. You, you don't earn righteousness. You don't deserve righteousness. You don't become righteous when, you, when you're baptized. That, that didn't make them righteous. They were made righteous when they gave their life to Christ, when they entered into a relationship with Jesus. You're not made righteous when you receive communion. 
You're not made righteous when you put, you know, some money in that little green bag that went by you a little bit ago. You're not made righteous because you're here today in church. All of these are good things. God wants you to do these things, but they don't make you righteous. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ makes you righteous. Now I know that, that some of you are here and whenever I talk about this, I, I get emails and they just really bum me out because some of you have been so deceived. You know, the Bible likens us to sheep. And they say that sheep are like one of the dumbest animals on the planet, really dumb. And that's what God says about us, is that we're just sheep. And what, what, I, what that tells me is, is that we as sheep can be easily deceived and there are uh, denominations out there, there are churches out there that will teach that um, uh, you somehow have to maintain your righteousness. That there's some sort of combination. Yes, obviously Jesus came and died on a cross and you need Jesus, but now you have to maintain it. You have to keep doing a whole lot of really good things, be good, go on mission trips, give money, be baptized, take communion, serve somewhere, and so you just gotta keep doing all the right things, and as long as you keep doing all the right things, you, you, you'll stay righteous. And that is blasphemous. Just, it's a horrible, horrible lie that many of you were taught Maybe from the churches that you went to. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ, period, that makes you righteous. That's it. Now your good deeds matter. I'm gonna talk about that in, in just a minute. But you are made righteous simply through a relationship with Jesus Jesus Christ. The, 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 the great prophet Isaiah said this about all of your good deeds that we, you know, you might do or I might do. All of us are, are dirty with sin, right? That's just a, an Old Testament way of saying what Paul said in Romans 3, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. We're all dirty with sin. Thank you, Adam. All the right things we have done are like filthy pieces of cloth. Don't, don't think that somehow you can do all these good things to make yourself righteous before God. You can't. You have to recognize that you're poor in spirit. You're spiritually bankrupt and there's nothing you can do. Nothing. Yeah, make yourself right. Paul said this in Romans 10. He said, dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and prayer uh, to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Um, Paul was a, was a Jew, and the Jewish people as a whole had rejected Christ when he was here. They didn't recognize him as the Savior. And he says here, man, I, I, I just, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray. I, I just want my people to, 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 you know, to be saved. He says, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's, but it's misdirected zeal. 
For they don't understand God's way of making people right with themselves. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. They're, they're trying to just do all the things the Bible says. They're trying to do the Ten Commandments. They're just trying to be good. And they think that that's going to make them right. For Christ has already accomplished the, the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him, who believe in Christ, who put their trust in Christ, are made right with God. Let me give you an illustration real quick. Me without a relationship with Jesus is bad news. Because when God looks at my life, he sees my sin. And all my good things. I became an Eagle Scout. I walked a, a woman across the street. I did all these good things. Hey, God doesn't care about any of that. He just simply sees the sin in my life. Me with a relationship with Jesus is good news. Why? Because when God looks at my life, he now sees his son, his righteous son, Jesus Christ. You see, one of the reasons why, you know, we're up here singing about Jesus, talking about Jesus, and our children's ministries are talking about Jesus and singing about Jesus, and our youth ministers are talking about Jesus and singing about Jesus, and a little bit, if you go to prime time, you know, Gordon Rumble's gonna be in there talking about Jesus, and Lee's gonna lead you in songs about Jesus, is because we understand that without Jesus, it's all bad news. But with Jesus in our life, it's good news. Because now the Father sees my life and he sees that I have his son in my life, that I've received his son. I've submitted my life to his son. He sees that I recognize that I was poor in spirit. He knows there was a moment that I cried out to God. God's in my life, his son's in my life, you see? In Genesis chapter 15, we read this. Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord accepted Abraham's faith, and that faith made him right with God. You see this truth even in the Old Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, they didn't know who the Messiah was. They didn't know who the Savior was. God just promised them, hey, guys, gals, I'm going to send you Messiah. I'm going to send you Savior. And how you were made right with God in the Old Testament was that you simply believed God. You trusted God. You submitted yourself to God, and you said, God, I'm going to believe in your truths. And they were made right with him. 2,000 years ago, in a little town called Bethlehem, the Messiah was born. The Savior was born. So us, today in the New Testament, if you will, we know who the Savior is, and so we don't put our trust that God's going to send the Savior. He did. We actually put our trust, we submit our lives to the Savior. We know him. We, we know what his name is. His name was Jesus, you see. But whether you're in the Old Testament or New Testament, you were made right with God simply because you believed God. You put your trust in God. Now, now I'm going to trip some of you up right now. With, with, with all this said, I don't think that this is what Jesus was talking about here in Matthew chapter 5. 
Um, I don't think Jesus had this thought in mind when he said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And the reason why is, is because you're made right with God when you understand that you're poor in spirit. When you're poor in spirit, you cry out to God, he comes into your life, you're made right with him. So I don't think that this is what Jesus was talking about here. Now I want you to know, a lot of scholars do. In fact, one of my favorite scholars thinks that that's exactly what Jesus was talking about here. And it could have been, but I don't think so. I think he was talking about something different. You see, you mourn, you, 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 you recognize your poor in spirit, he comes into your life, you're made righteous. You start to mourn and grieve over sin. You start to understand the implications of sin and what it did. You humble yourself before God, become teachable, live a meek life. Then you hunger and thirst after righteousness. In other words, you choose to live according to God's word. You choose to live a godly lifestyle. You, you, you choose to hunger and thirst after a righteous life or a righteous lifestyle. I think this is what Jesus was talking about, which brings me to number two. Righteousness means living right before God. It's a lifestyle. When Jesus makes this statement, he's talking about living righteous now that you've been made righteous. You see? You were made righteous. You had nothing to do with that. Now live righteous. Have a hunger and a thirst to live a God-honoring life. In other words, this is about living as God intended you to live. And when you live as God intended you to live, I guarantee you'll experience an unbelievable happiness. There is an unbelievable joy, an unbelievable happiness that comes when you live a righteous life. When you live as God intended you to, to live. Now, now Jesus paints a, a great picture here about hungering and thirsting. Have you ever had a time in your life when, I don't know, maybe you're away from home and uh, you, you, know, you were hungry and, or you were thirsty or you were someplace you couldn't get water? Ever had that moment where you were just super hungry, super thirsty? I was, uh, this, well, the last couple of weeks, I was sick last week. I've been thinking a lot about this. And I used to go to Grace Davis High School when I was a freshman. Uh, I had a coach down there. And my sophomore year's name was uh, uh, Coach Burroughs. He was a Christian man. And his wife uh, taught at Turlock Christian and was an incredible lady. I, I, I you know, spent a lot of time in their home. I didn't know the Lord but they were just very gracious, gracious people. And I, I, could see what, um, I could see what living righteously looked like as I watched them and hung out with them. But when I played, it, that was back in the era when there wasn't a lot of scientific data out there about how uh, you know, hydration ought to work. And so the thought was is that you didn't give anybody any water to drink. So they thought, oh, wait, 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 hey, one of my coaches is right back there. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Ah, I see you back there. And, and he, he'll, he'll, he'll tell you, Coach Owser, right back there. And he'll, you're going to remember this, Coach. 
So what they did back then is, now you couldn't get away with it. Now the kids get water anytime they want water because they, they recognize that, you know, kids could get dehydrated and die. <laughs> apparently, apparently that wasn't a big deal when you were in college learning how to be a coach. Now nah, let, let the kids just get to the point of death. And, uh, and so you'd go out to practice and you took your last drink of water at the fountain and then you got out there and that was basically it. And it'd be 110 degrees out with all your pads on and all that. It was about 400 degrees, body heat. You're just, and you, you would just be so thirsty. You would just be so thirsty. But they did have a moment where there was a water break. And our coach, Coach Burroughs, had a metal canister. It was a thing that you would have put pesticide in. Obviously, you know, he, 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 he didn't have pesticide in it. At least we don't think he did. Um, and it was this metal thing, and then, you know, he'd pump that thing up, and then it had a little stick on it, you know, that he'd spray the ants with or whatever. No, I am not kidding you. He'd line everybody up. We're all dying. We're not even sweating anymore. We had nothing to sweat. It's just dryness coming out of you. Um, and you'd line up, and you'd open your mouths, and Coach Burroughs would go... I, I have not forgotten. I, I, I'm still bitter. I'm, I'm still. That's why I don't go anywhere without water bottles today. I, 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 I brings back horrible memories of not having water, um, and that was it. And then, you, and you know, it, it would drip off. You'd go around licking some guy's face mask. Come here. Anything, anything to get water. I am not kidding you. And you would just be so thirsty, it's all you could possibly think about was water. I gotta, I gotta have some water. Oh man, and we would all sit around and go, okay. And the drinking fountain before practice ever would be piled up and you'd gorge yourself because you just knew there was gonna come a moment when you would be so thirsty. All you could think about was water. That's the picture that we see here. Jesus is saying, let me tell you something, you really want to be happy in life? Live a life where all, oh, I, just, I just want to live a righteous life. I want to live as God intended me to live. And you hunger and you thirst after living righteous. Now that you are righteous. Now that God has made you righteous. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter six. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. He doesn't say seek the kingdom of God above all else and, and get righteous because you're already righteous. He says, but live righteously. Live the way God intended you to live and he will give you everything you need. In other words, God will satisfy you. God will take care of you when you hunger and you thirst after righteousness, right living. King David said this in Psalm 23. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. And beloved, the reason why David had all that he needed was, was because he made a decision to make the Lord the, you know, his shepherd. He made the decision, if you will, to live righteously, and when you make that decision, God promises to satisfy you. In other words, here's the deal. Your part 
is to hunger and thirst. God's part is to satisfy. One of the reasons why I think a lot of believers go through life never satisfied is because they're hungering and thirsting after the wrong things. You come in here and, you know, I preach my guts out and do all that I can to encourage you. You go off to prime time. Everybody's encouraging you to do whatever. And you walk out the door and you really don't swallow the meal. You don't digest the meal. And you just go out and you just live any way you want to live. You don't really hunger and thirst after righteousness. You just kind of, whatever, whatever happens. Oh, you're a Christian. I'm not, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. Just saying you hunger and thirst after other things. And really, the, 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 the things of God. Now, now, here's the deal. Catch this right here, okay? Obviously, living a righteous life and obeying the Holy Scriptures go hand in hand, right? In other words, the only way you can know whether or not you're living a righteous life or not or whether or not you're living a God-honoring life is by the Scriptures. They alone reveal what a God-honoring life looks like, right? I mean, if, 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 those, if living righteous and the scriptures don't go hand in hand, then I guess we can all stand up and go, well, here's what I think a righteous life looks like. Oh, I don't, I'm not doing that. Here's what I think a righteous life looks like. And then we can all just live however we want, doing whatever we want. And, and who's right and who's wrong? You see, the only way that I know that I'm living a righteous life, I'm living a holy life, is this. The creator has left his creation, you know, the manual, if you will. And all throughout this book, God says, hey, here are the things I want you to be involved in in your life. Here's, here's what I want you to do with your life. Hey, here are the things I want you to stay away from. Don't get involved in these things. Don't do these things kind of a thing. And so you can't separate out the living righteously, righteously and the, 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 the word of God. They, they go hand in hand. Another, another way you could look at this beatitude is this, and I reworded it like I did the other ones. Happy, joyful, and content are those that have a hunger and thirst to live out everything that God has commanded in his word. For in so doing, God promises to meet every need that they have in this life and the life to come. One theologian said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst to live out the scriptures. That would just be another way of, of, of saying this. Now, the prophet Jeremiah gives us a, a great picture as to what kind of attitude that this looks like. Okay? Uh, he said this, Jeremiah said this in chapter 15. He said, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. That, that, that's hungering and thirsting, right? Isn't that a imagery? Now, obviously, Jeremiah didn't have this. So he was at a huge disadvantage, in my opinion. We got this. We got the Word of God. And as I read that, I thought to myself, man, I don't, I don't know how often I... I would use the term, I devour the word. Oh, there are some moments, I think. But I love that imagery. 
King David said, I wear myself out with desire for your laws all the time. That's just another way, I think, of saying, man, David hungered and thirsted after the word of God. And of course, our Lord said this in Matthew chapter four. He says, people don't live by bread alone, but they live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. They, they have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, living out the truth, kind of a thing. In Psalms chapter 23, which is by far the most famous psalm, King David said this. He said, he, that's God, guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And how exactly does God guide us in paths of righteousness? His word. Now, obviously, King David didn't have a copy of the Bible like we've got. God spoke to men like David through prophets in different ways, but it was still the word of God. We have this. This is how God will guide us in, in paths of righteousness. He, he, he doesn't just, you know, show up and go, hey, you know, follow me, and he doesn't take your hand physically. He doesn't do that. When you wake up in the morning, you know, it's you by yourself or you with your spouse laying next to you or whatever it is, this is how he's going to guide you throughout the day in paths of righteousness. This will be the thing right here. Do you hunger? Do you thirst after it? All this to say that a, a person that hungers and thirsts after righteousness is a person that hungers and thirsts after the word of God. Now let me tell you why this is so important. It's important because the great prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah chapter 53, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Let me, let me put that to you in another way. We've all hungered and thirsted after all kinds of things other than God and his word. All of us have. We've all lived lives where God's word didn't matter to us. And we hungered and we thirsted and we just went our own way. And now as followers of Jesus, we need to hunger and thirst after God's way, which is why King David said this in Psalms 25. He said, teach me your ways, O Lord. Make them known to me. Teach me to live according to your truth, for you are my God. Because the Lord is righteous and good, he teaches sinners the path that they should follow. He leads the humble in, in the right way and teaches them his will. Here's the deal, folks. We all need to be taught the right way of living because we all enter the world sinful. We all enter the world wanting to hunger and thirst after our own desires, our own crud, whatever all that is. And so we need the Lord to teach us. Just like King David, oh Lord, teach me. I need to know how to live right. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, what if I don't understand, you know, 
what the Bible teaches? What, what if I hunger and thirst after God and his way of living and I, and I don't understand it all? And let me just tell you this. That is going to happen. I can't fix that problem. I, I, I can't fix what's normal. I guarantee you that there will be moments when you will read, you will hunger and thirst after the word, and you will read things and go, man, I don't, I don't know what that means. There's nobody in this room. If there is, then they're just flat out lying. Who can say, hey, got it all figured out. Know it all. I'm done. Woo, bam, nailed it. Don't need to read that anymore because I got it all figured out. Let me tell you something. The longer I study the Word of God and meditate on the Word of God, chew the Word of God, uh, swallow the Word of God, digest the Word of God, the more I realize how little I really know. That doesn't mean you don't study, meditate, and all those things. You need to do that. My point is, is that you are going to read things in here and go, man, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And here's the thing, that's okay. It's okay. Your job isn't to necessarily understand everything. Your job is to hunger and thirst after the word and say, God, I want to live it out. Help me to understand it, but I don't understand it now. I don't get why you want me to do that, but I'm going to do it even though I don't understand it. Psalms chapter 77 gives us a great reminder of, of something, okay? In Psalm 77, it says this. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway that no one knew was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. Now let me tell you what the psalmist is talking about there. There was a moment in Jewish history where the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh. Most of you know the story. You watched the King and I. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so um, God finally just, you know, makes the decision he's going to set the people free. So he raises up Moses, better known as Charlton Heston, and says, I am gonna use you to set the people free. I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And so we all know the story, right? He goes, hey, you know, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And, you know, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And God sends all these plagues and things and that. And finally, Pharaoh says, okay, I'll let the people go. And so Pharaoh, you know, gives an order. Moses goes out, and he's now leading the people of Israel. Well, I don't know, a million people, whatever it was. And they're all free now. And they're all making their way across the desert. They're free, we're free, we're free, woo, we're free, we're free, we're free. Well, there comes a moment where Pharaoh is, you know, in his study, thinking, and he goes, hey, wait a minute. I don't want them to be free. 
So he gathers up all of his generals and lieutenants and whoever and says, listen, I want you to get the, the army, get the chariots, go after them, kill them. Made a mistake. I don't want them free. So the generals go and gather up all the men and now the whole you know, Egyptian army is after the Hebrews. They got, you know, the best spears and, and, and you know, and bow and arrows, and they got chariots with, you know, you know, you know knives on them. I mean, they're, they're going to wipe out the Hebrews. So Moses is leading them all along, and God leads them right to the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, you know, Moses turns around and off in the distance, he sees the Egyptian army coming. All the people turn around. Here comes this massive army. The greatest army at that time on the planet is now making their way towards the Hebrew people who were trapped on the shores of the Red Sea. And here comes a bunch of lunatics with spears and, and bows and arrows and, and chariots and they're gonna wipe everybody out and everybody knows it. And there's no doubt that there were people, most of the people, 95.6% of the people, probably higher, were going, oh, this is great! I don't get it, God! I don't understand! You, you sent Moses and now we're free. And man, it's been fantastic to be free. We're coming across. And now you led us to this spot. We're trapped. We're going to be wiped out. It's going to be a slaughter. We got no guns. We got no knives. We don't got anything in there. That's the greatest army on the planet. And here they were. They didn't understand. Nobody understood. But God had a plan, didn't he? You see, that psalm says there was a road that no one knew about. In other words, uh, the, the, the Moses didn't have the right GPS system. The road was covered at the time with water. And so Moses, street sign, whoop, one way. And so all the Hebrews went through this road that no one knew about. God knew, but they didn't. They didn't know. There was a path that wasn't known to them, but God knew the path. And so all the Hebrews make it across, you know, and the bad guys got about halfway and, you know, all of a sudden the road closed down and, and it was over. When you get to those moments, people, and you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness and you're reading something, you go, wow, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's okay. You're in good company. We've all been there and if we're not there today, we'll be there next week. All you need to know is this, is that God understands it. God knows the plan. You might be in a financial crisis right now and you're going, I don't understand this. You might be in some health uh, crisis right now and you're going, man, I don't understand this. I, I don't get it. 
You might be having some relationship problem, maybe with your spouse or something, and you're going, I, I don't understand why we're here. Maybe your business is falling apart, and you, you, you just don't understand. You don't get it. It's okay. There was a moment when all the Jewish people were sitting there next to the Red Sea, and they didn't understand. But God had a path. God had a road they didn't know about. And here's the deal, you just remain faithful to what God says, whether you get it or you don't get it. You remain faithful to be, be a person that hungers and thirsts after this book and living it out, being faithful. And I guarantee you, you will experience a happiness um, like nothing else. Why don't you all stand? Over in the, the venue, I wanted to stand. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, this morning, and man, Lord, great music, God. Great God-honoring music. Thank you for our choir and orchestra and for the Herb Henry family. Just, just blessed, Lord, to have such good people. And I pray blessings upon Herb's church, Lord, in, in series. Glad they would give them up for a morning to come and just bless us with their music. I'm thankful for all of those that are here and over in the venue and those watching online. And God, would you help us, your people here, those that name the name of Jesus Christ, to be people that really hunger and thirst after righteousness. That we would long to know the word of God that we might live the word of God in our lives. Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness to us. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, Lord bless you, okay?